0: Hey guys, this is Tyler Padgett. I'm the lead pastor of The Courageous Church, and this is our podcast. I wanna thank you for joining us today. And my hope is that this podcast encourages you, that it builds your faith, and that it pushes you to make a difference. You can join us in person on the weekends, Sundays at 9, 30, and 11, at any one of our locations across the Ozarks. Check out our social media pages to find a campus near you. I believe you're listening today for a reason. Let's do this, turn up the volume, and let's go. Today, I want to talk to you about saying hard things, saying hard things. Honestly, the days of live and let live are mostly over for us. There's just too much craziness and evil for us to be silent. We'll have to learn how to speak. And this doesn't just mean I'm not just talking about like societal things. I'm talking about in your family, in your life. At some point, you're going to have to say hard things, and I want to help you with that today. Are you ready? Let's look at God's expectation for people that follow him. Second Timothy 3 and 16, okay? This is not just to Timothy, and it's not just to preachers. It's to all of us. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, okay? Teaching requires some tension. Reproof, that definitely requires some tension. For correction, well, that definitely is some tension. For training in righteousness, so that would mean this is unrighteous, that is righteous. There's tension there. And then he goes that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's not just talking about me, okay? I know when I say man of God, many of you just totally think of me, but that's mildly funny if you've been around for a while. Four and one, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living of the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. Here we go. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Here's more tension. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience, and teaching. So the words here that we're called to do as ministers of God um, to to, to lead others, it's uh, teaching, reproof, training in righteousness, reproof for correction, um, reprove, reprove, (laughs) rebuke, and exhort. Those are all words that require you to step up and say, this is what you're doing. This is what you need to be doing, right? And so the servant of the Lord, which is what we all are, and the children of God, must be willing to step into some tension and say some stuff. And you're going to have to at some point. If you're going to lead a family, if you're going to have a marriage, if you're going to, um, I'm, even if you're just going to have pets, you're going to have to step into tension, okay? Um, so, you know, everybody wishes there were some magic words to make tension easier, but there's not. Um, and if you've ever had to tell somebody they, they, they have, if you know, you know, you're a supervisor at work and you have to tell somebody they have body odor, there's no easy way to do that. There's just not a fun way to do it. Have you ever had to tell somebody you stink? It doesn't matter how you preface it. You can put it between a compliment sandwich. You're super creative and you show up on time, you stink, but we thank you. You know, it doesn't, it's just one of those things, Right. And so there's no magic words, and the best you can do is be honest and sympathetic, and there's a line you can possibly use. It may work, it may not. Experts say it helps. You say to them, there's something upsetting I need to share with you. So, uh, sir, if your wife sits down and says, there's something upsetting I need to share with you, you can thank me for that. (laughs) But conflict is the tool we use to get to the healthy place. Conflict is the tool used um, by God here teaching Paul teaching to Timothy to get to get us to a a, a healthy place. Like you ever hear people that got divorced and they said we never had a fight? Like what? (laughs) What? We got in a fight on our honeymoon. We've been on. We've been at like you know. We've been at like if it's on a one to ten scale, we've been at one point five ever since. Like we could go at any time, but you know, some couples they just get divorced and say we never fought. There's a big difference though when you have conflict in wanting to be right and wanting to get it right do you want to be right or do you want to get it right anybody married to those accountant types anybody married to those precision people like Eric, like like uh every time i think of an occupation i think of somebody that does that so i'm trying to pull back from it but somebody who works in precision in tolerances, and they like to get it right don't they you're too nervous to say yes, but I know you're right. They can be a mechanic and be precise. Um, but um, being right and get it right are worlds we're worlds apart. Like We wanna get it right, not just be right, amen? amen. And the minute you open your mouth, whatever's on the, whoever's on the other end of that conversation is gonna know what your motive is. Is your motivation to be right or get it right? And so we have to be okay with, knowing confrontation and conflict's gonna come to our life and and know that many of the giants that we're facing today were small confrontations we avoided yesterday. Let me say that again, since you guys are being so noisy about this, I wanna tell you so you don't talk over me. Many of the giants you're facing today in your relationship with people were, were little confrontations you neglected to have back in the day, okay? And nobody likes to hear they're wrong, not now, not back then, not ever, but Jesus did that, and I'll share with you some of that soon. But Jesus, he was not unwilling to step into tension, and, and I want to I I bring us to Jesus in a moment, but I want to show you something. In the book of Jeremiah, God's chosen man, a prophet, stood, in the, the, stood on the steps of Solomon's temple, the first temple built in Jerusalem. He stood there and was in complete obedience to God and said things that caused the people to be like, there's no possible way, I don't agree. And so this is a long reading, but I want you to hear the word of the Lord. Are we ready? So this is Jeremiah, God's prophet, standing on the steps of Solomon's temple, the central place of worship, and he starts telling them what's going to happen. Are we ready? Seven and one of Jeremiah. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. He says, stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim his message. And here's what he said. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Reform your ways and your actions and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord,
1: the temple of the Lord.
0: Lord." He was making a point there, I think. What he's trying to say is these people thought because God's presence dwelled in that place, they could do whatever they wanted to and be fine because God was with them. And it gave them this sense of security that was actually causing them to chase after idols. We should never be so secure in our history, in past spiritual experiences, in the faith of our family, in the things we do for God's church to say, because I'm just connected to the temple of the Lord, everything's gonna be fine. We must have a personal relationship with God. Based on faith, amen, somebody. Like it's not just enough to say I adhere to religious practices, okay? And so they thought because they were God's people and had God's house that nothing bad was going to happen to them and they could do whatever they wanted to do. Verse 5, if you really change your ways and your actions, deal with each other justly. Verse 6, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, do not shed innocent blood in this place. If you do not follow other gods to your own harm. They were doing all that. So they have this false sense of security. They were doing all these wicked things. Verse seven. Then I'll let you live in this place, the land I gave your ancestors forever and ever. Eight. But look, you're trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. He is standing amongst his own people. He is standing with people he does life with. And he's saying super offensive and difficult things. He, I'm gonna... Oh, for the sake of time, I want to read all of it, but I'm not going to. But God essentially spoke through Jeremiah in the face of his peers to tell them, if you don't turn to me completely, I'm going to destroy everything you value and you're going to become exiles. And they didn't listen to him and they were taken captive and Jerusalem was destroyed and they were shipped off to Babylon and they knocked everything down because they thought, they didn't have to listen to God's voice. Now, that's a lesson in and of itself, but the greater lesson I want to share with us here today is that Jeremiah, the called man of God, the called person of God, had to step into tension and speak what God wanted in order to be obedient to God. And that, uh, that should take away our illusions of a life with no hard conversations. That should take the illusions away from us living a life where we never say hard things. We don't have to say mean things. We just have to say hard things. Because Jeremiah, unfortunately, was super controversial and super obedient at the same time. And church, at some point, it's going to happen. I'll probably have to be to our city and to the. I'll probably have to be super controversial and super obedient to God. Now, I'm I'm not. Obviously, because of my stutter, you know, I'm not looking forward to that. But, but things in society have degenerated to the point where there's not going to be anything that we recognize as a godly society if, if, if believers don't say this is what we believe. And, and it's not even, the battle lines have shifted so much. And so Jesus did the same thing. Like he said stuff that, that would have, not been nice. Many times, of course, we have this view of God um, based on the pictures of a blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus with feathered, blow-dried hair, and perfect skin, with with plucked eyebrows, always just being nice and, and, and dancing through the streets with little children. But Jesus was beaten, he was whipped, he was flogged. They don't usually do this to nice people. Jesus was kind, but he wasn't always nice. Like nice is what politicians do sometimes when they're, they say what you want to hear to your face and kiss your baby, but inwardly they care nothing for you. Like Jesus didn't do that. Jesus rebuked his followers. Jesus rebuked his friends. Jesus rebuked um, his disciples, when children wanted to come to him and he told them, you suffer the kids and you need to act more like them. It's, it's offensive. Like if, if you're at work and somebody brings their kids to work day and and, and, you know, <laughs> and they rebuke you and tell you you need to act more like these children, like what? what? I mean, just think about the offensive nature of that. Um, but Jesus didn't shy away from saying unpopular stuff. Even knowing that people would hate him and want to kill him for it, Jesus did it. He called religious leaders and teachers, politicians. He called them blind guides, a, a, a gang of snakes, whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. Like, he, he told people things that made them hate him. And, and, and he even did that to people who were sinning. He even said stuff to people who were sinning that would have been offensive. He said in John 5, after he healed a man who had been lame, he said, stop sinning or something bad's going to happen to you. Like he, uh, he told his disciple, Peter, like, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> he called him Satan. Uh, not a good move if you're in a fight with your spouse, by the way. I've tried it. Not good. <laughs> they don't forget about it either if you do that. Jesus didn't mince words, but he had Here's the key, healthy conflict with no regrets. You ever have conflict and have regrets? Oh, you're looking at the king of that. Where's my crown? Somebody crown me, the king of conflict with regrets. We've made some mistakes. Like, like Moses, Moses was lead, leading the whining uh, uh, children of Israel who had had mindsets that had been totally impacted, influenced by brutalization and slavery. So they were, not, they were not easy people to lead. They were used to just being told what to do, but he had to lead them, and it was different. And, and, and they came to a place where they were thirsty in the wilderness, right? And in Numbers 20 and 7, the Lord said to Moses, verse 8, then he said, take your staff, you and your brother Aaron, gather the assembly together, Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You'll bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. Moses was supposed to say, rock, water. Like a, anybody remember the clapper back in the day before we had Siri? You'd clap, and it lights would clip on, turn on. It was crazy. It was like, as seen on TV, now it's Siri. But, but he was just supposed to say, like, rock, But Moses got so ticked off at the whining and the behavior of the children of Israel that rather than obey God and just speak to it, verse 10, he and Aaron gathered somebody together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, listen, you rebels. So Jesus didn't say, call them names. (laughs) He didn't say, call them names, but Moses was all fired up. Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Now, God said, speak to it, of course. But Moses, verse 11, raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. That is the temptation in times of pressure and conflict. God gave gave Moses a clear word that if you speak to it, I will come through. But Moses said, I'm going to call some names and hit some things to get what I need, and then, God, you can come through after that. How many of us have made that mistake before? I'm going to call names and do some harm. And then I'll wait for God to come through because it'll make me feel better. Verse 12, but the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community to the land that I give them. Ouch. Consequences, limitations, generational cut off because he could not get that part of him under control that could have conflict under pressure without losing it and calling names and striking the rock. Let's not be that kind of people. Let's be willing to step into tension, but let's not step into tension with anger because conflict in anger is undesirable. If I've never really had angry conflict that's gone super well. You have to get a grip on your temper in conflict, Okay. So the first thing you got to do is remember this. You want good results. Remember the results. You want good results from conflict. You want us to win. You don't want me to win, right? I'm not here just to win. I want everybody to win. Move forward. We're not ending anything today. We're We're not dissolving anything today. We're not divorcing anything today. We're just trying to move forward together. That needs to be the mindset. Can I have an amen? The Bible says that we as Christians are ministers of reconciliation, meaning that we're trying to build bridges, we're not trying to cut people off. Proverbs 29, says, an angry person starts fights. A hot-tempered person commits all kinds of sins. I make mistakes when I get angry. Do you? Like I can be angry and, 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 and I get so brilliant when I'm angry. My words just start coming. I have a friend. He's super, you know, he's super intelligent or whatever, but man, I fought with him before and he gets, it's like, I can't imagine it. He gets so much smarter when you fight with him. Like he's normal and he's pretty sharp, you know, but man, under pressure, it's like he turns in this other thing and he starts, and he has this photographic memory. He never forgets the detail. And it's impossible to win with this guy. Um, so the, the deal is I just don't get him angry and it, you know, the fights go better. But, but like, why do we do like Moses? Why do we scream? Why do we lose our temper? Because it works, short term. And when you're younger, hear me, if you have a young marriage and you're in your 20s and 30s, you know, you have a lot more energy for this kind of thing. <laughs> Renee and I could fight. Tell the wee hours of the morning when we were younger. Now we're just like, it's all right. Let's just go to bed. It's 9.15. It's 9.15. It's not worth it. Oh, I love you. We'll figure it out later. Come on. Um, When you yell and get angry, people can comply out of fear, but you don't win together. And long-term anger alienates, and you can lose the relationship. And so before you react, you should reflect, okay, what am I working toward here? Um, Proverbs 29, says that fools give vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. One of the great things you can do when you get super angry, I will not have a meeting when I'm super angry. God, I've told a million people off in my head that felt so good and so cathartic and so detailed, like I dealt with everything in the shower. I didn't invite them there. That was me alone in the shower having this fight in my head. Sometimes I'll be walking, I'll be going. And Renee is like, who are you talking to? And it's just me walking. And I'll say I'm preaching, but sometimes I'm having a fight with somebody in my head, which isn't great. Like I said, I'm here because I need help too. But one of the greatest things you can do when it comes to anger is just slow it down, delay. I'm mad, I'm not gonna make any decisions right now. I'm mad, I'm gonna take a time out. I'm mad, I'm not gonna tell them how I feel right now. I'm mad, and so I just know that I'm gonna regret it if I do something. Anger is a choice, it makes you feel powerful, it gives you an endorphin rush, it gives you brain chemistry doodads that feel so good. But ultimately, you want to control that because it can control you. Like Proverbs 12, 16 says, a fool is quick-tempered, but a wise person stays calm when insulted. I told you all that time that guy punched me on the news. I told you that time. I I forgot my laptop cable at the church on a day off. I'm working, I'm studying. the, The church is closed. We had a bunch of buildings we were tearing down at the North Campus. And some guy who was hopped up on prescription meds called the news because we were turning these buildings down. It was going slow. And they had the cameras on me. And this guy reached out and popped me, open hand, so it wasn't a fist, but it still he hit me. And the news cameras are rolling. And there's nothing more. Like that moment he hit me, a movie started playing in my mind. And I'm grabbing this guy. And it, my mouth, and you know, it, like you remember the old kung fu movies? Like, I'm gonna kill you. And I can see myself grabbing his greasy hair and just boom, smacking his head right into my kneecap and driving him into the asphalt with my foot on the back of his neck, just stomping, stomping, stomping because that's what's in my heart. That is. I come from a long line of retaliatory Sicilians, it's there. And he hit me. And it was like this thing. Because if he would hit me and there had been no news cameras, what would I have done? But KSPR-33 was there with a the camera on me. And I just got hit. And I did nothing. But I drove home fantasizing about everything I would do to that guy. <laughs> but my favorite part of the story is a year later, Renee, hey, Renee, can you cover your ears? Quit shaking your head no. I had an alibi. I was in a business meeting. I was not there, but his house burnt down while I was in a meeting and I had nothing to do with it. And he was fine and nothing was, nobody was hurt. You can decide what happened, but it's a real story and it did happen, but I didn't lose it. And I wanted to, I wanted to go after this guy and do all the things like top rope, Proverbs 12, 16, it's a true story, it happened. A fool is quick-tempered, but a wise person stays calm when insulted. So here's one of the big keys, okay? I had nothing to win in that scenario. There's seldom anything to win um, when you're angry, but I decided, and we should all decide, okay, is this a battle worth fighting? Is this gonna make me feel better, or is this gonna help us both win? Because there's some battles that you don't gain anything by winning them. And the more you understand this is not something I can win, then, then, then leave it alone. There's some people you're not going to fix. Now, it's wisdom. This is why life is hard because wisdom requires knowing what is worth engaging on and what is not worth engaging on. But the key is to control your anger in all things, okay? And so, have you ever yelled anything and immediately regretted it? I've said things in, in fighting with Renee. Said things and I was like, "Oh, oh, 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 oh. Ah, oh!" I let that go. Okay, now that's the issue. The issue's not the issue. What I said's now going to be the issue because I crossed the line. Anybody been there? Just me, huh? I'm the only person running on a quarter tank of salvation up here. Like it just, it just uh, doesn't work. Proverbs 15 and one says, "A gentle answer." Deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. Harsh words. And so with the kids now, I I used to be like, whatever the topic of the day was. And now I'm like, and it works a little better. But they match my energy, so i got to be like, no, no, no. That's not what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do because my temper and the tension that it creates goes together. Okay? So Jesus now models healthy conflict for us. I want to show this to you. All right? Woman at the well, John 4, or uh, it could be John 14. Sir, give me this water that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Uh, Go call your husband and come here. Woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said, I know it. I know you don't. Out here on these streets, woman, coming out here in the middle of the day when everybody else comes in the morning because you've messed your life up so bad by all your fooling around, all your Craigslist ads, all your street walking, all your people. Got your bumble tender and I don't know the other ones. Got these multiple Tinder accounts out there. You're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. I would not lead off meeting somebody with that. Like, let's talk about your choices. Let's talk about what you have done, your sexual choices, your inability to restrain yourself, your your life that looks like it. I don't know if anybody remembers Jerry Springer back in the day. Your life that looks like, I need better references on Jerry Springer. Make notes, let me know, okay? I need an updated Jerry Springer reference. Write it down, let me know. But just a wild, wild life that seems out of control is what she lived. But Jesus spoke the truth to her He challenged her on her sexual sin, but the woman left as a fan and invited others to then come and meet him. She says in 1428, so the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Now, Jesus was the son of God, which helps a lot, but at the same time, he's the kind of person that would have said, there is a booger hanging from your nose, he would have said, Your fly is all the way down. He would have said, You're being very, very selfish. Jesus had people skills, knew how to challenge, and knew how to do it and preserve the relationship somehow. And we need to do the same. Because hard conversations are not easy. That's why they're called hard conversations. Like Jesus, and, and many of you have crazy family and you've just had to limit you know, and, and sometimes that's the best decision, but many times we choose no relationship because we've been too coward. We've been too much of a coward to say that. No, that's not what we're doing. We're not going to do that. Thank you. Love you. No. Um, and so Jesus showed us how to do it. So what was the last, the last difficult conversation you were a part of? Were you the instigator? Were you the receiver? Did you avoid it or did you engage? And how do you feel about it now? It's, it's, not, it's not wonderful, but that's real life. So here's a couple things that will help you when it comes to having hard conversations. First off, be very liberal with your encouragement. So, so let the people around you hear lots of good things before you have to say the hard things. We can't assume the good. We can't assume that they know how you feel about them when it's good. Uh, wives, listen to God's man right now. When you tell him he's good, it just makes everything right in his world. When you tell him you're a fan, it makes him want to work harder. And most men, 99.5% of the non sociopathic men, it makes them want to do better. Like you tell him, I appreciate your hard work. I am proud of the man that you are. Now, that doesn't mean he's perfect. That doesn't mean that he's got it all figured out and that he understands and sees things exactly the way you'd want him to. But you didn't marry another version of yourself. You married a man that has body hair all over his back. He's got testosterone flowing through his veins. When he gets mad, he only feels anger. His emotions are different than yours. Like, and that's what you're attracted to. So he's not gonna be you. But your words mean everything. Your honor expressed. And that can be different per personality. But your honor expressed to him motivates him to do better. Um, And so be a liberal encourager. But once you're a liberal encourager, when there is a hard conversation, and this is how I teach our leaders and team, and this is what something, if you're in any supervisory role ever or will ever be, here's what you got to do. You got to have lots of investments in the life, be a liberal encourager. But when there's a conversation to be had, you make sure you say, the last 10%. Because the last 10% of the conversation is what creates the change. Jesus could have said all the things about new life and hope, but he had to say that 10% about five husbands. That was the issue, five husbands. And so that last 10% has to be said. If you're in marital conflict, make sure that you know, you've calmed it down. You know, and, and many times men can trust their wives better when they know their wife is a fan and, 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 and men do better. Obviously, women do better when their man loves the Lord Jesus, first off. So if you're chasing after all kinds of ungodly stuff, no wonder she doesn't trust you. She wants a man who's under the hand of God, first off. So let's assume that. But then secondly, oh, I lost my train of thought. Dang it. When I go off the notes, the ADHD kicks in. What was I saying? I was going somewhere really good. Dang it. It has to do with, just say the last 10%. All right. So um, these, uh, these conversations go bad when people don't believe that you want to continue the relationship with them. And they don't go well when they're not convinced that you want what's best for them. So if your husband, this is what I was going to say, so if your husband thinks you're a fan and that you're really on his side and that you want what's best for him, he'll listen better than if he feels like you're just trying to, to humiliate him. Um, so that's hard to figure out. That's why life is hard. But you have to say the hard things, but you also have to be a fan. Does that make sense? And then your tone. Um, you want to keep his heart rate down, ladies. You start yelling at him, his heart rate goes up, and then he blacks out, and he just wants to fight or run, depending on what the personality is. So tone is everything. I don't, I was watching, I watched that, that terrible documentary on the Duggars recently. Why the groaning church? <laughs> Religion kills, obviously. But the women all talk like this. And it was just a little creepy that all the women talk like this. And I'm not saying you should do that all the time, but maybe once in a while just try it. Be like, honey. Oh, no, I'm joking. Don't do that. <laughs> so, 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 so I'm coming to a close here with this, but um, when, when conflict is coming, choose some foundational questions to ask, okay? So here's some questions to ask the person before you have a hard conversation. Um, and this is, this is a question that I would ask for the church or a family. Do you believe that I have a responsibility before God to lead this church? Or do you believe I have a responsibility before God to lead this family? And the answer to that of course should be yes. And then you ask the question, can we have a conversation on an intellectual level here? Not emotion, just facts. Can we deal in facts right now? Okay. And then a question like this, are are you up to hearing about something that's been bothering me lately? And then wait for the response. Say things like, you know, I'm a huge fan of yours, right? And, uh, And say something like, I I want you to understand that I'm going to say something that's going to be difficult for you and difficult for me to say. And then when you say it, whatever you say, do it in three sentences or less. That's going to be hard. But say it in three sentences or less. And if you have to boil it down to get there, boil it down to get there. Because a narrative of all the pain and hurt and story that lasts 35 minutes just doesn't accomplish what three good sentences saying, this is the issue. And then when you're done, say, well, does that make sense? Does that make sense? Because when we say the hard things to the people we love, it shows them we trust them enough with the information. And when we accept hard things from people in our lives that matter to us, it shows that we trust them enough to care for us. And I don't want friends that never say, that was stupid. I, never, I don't want friends that never say, you could probably do that better. I know that Renee's more committed to me than anybody else in the world, on earth, other than the Lord Jesus, he's in heaven, but he lives in my heart. But when she says, you're better than that, oh, it's hard, because I know the investment is there. Like, Jesus said hard things because he cared about the people around him, and if we want more for the people around us, then we have to be willing to give more of ourselves and be authentic in those relationships. And even Jen, Jesus felt that tension of whether it would work or not because he said about John, John came eating and drinking, rejected him. I'm sorry, John came not eating and drinking and being very Spartan in his life and you hated him and now I come eating and drinking and you hate me. Go ahead. So, it's very important that for the hard conversation, you can go ahead anytime, just start playing right there. Just, here's what you need to have the hard conversations. There must be a foundation of trust. I trust that you love us. I trust that you love me. I trust that we're in this together. Time, this can't be a drive-by. You have to have the time to invest in having the conversation. And then tenacity, which means I'm gonna stick with this till we get it right, not just to be right. Anybody feel like Shouting? before the Lord and dancing right now? Anybody feel the Holy Ghost make you want to? No, you don't? Yeah, because this really stinks sometimes. But it's necessary for us to grow. It's necessary for us to help those around us to grow. And it's necessary for us to be open to hearing these things as well. Hey, thanks so much for listening today. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can like and subscribe. You can even share this on your social media. If you do, tag us at The Courageous Church and share what God is doing in your life. Always remember, God's calling you to be strong and very courageous in all that you do. I hope to see you soon. God bless.